Welcome back to Owned and Operated, where we dive deep into the businesses we own, the businesses we are acquiring, and we also bring on guests to talk about their operating struggles. If you like what you hear today, follow John and Brandon on Twitter. That's John at Wilson Companies and Brandon at Brandon Niro. Also, check out our weekly newsletter where we teach you how to be an effective operator. You can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by visiting ownedandoperated.com. That's ownedandoperated.com. Check it out. Today's guest star for the podcast is Jake Wakeley. With him, John will jump into a discussion about something we've never covered before, the moving industry. Eight months ago, Jake partnered up with a lifelong friend to purchase a moving company in San Antonio, Texas. He'll be in the hot seat today answering many questions about how the business works, its average costs and prices, and its overall profitability. Not to mention that you'll get to hear about the development and designing of his hold co as it's in its early stages. We hope you enjoy the show. It's no secret that Brandon and I have cleaned up a lot of poop in our career. Unfortunately, we don't clean up crappy bookkeeping. That's where today's sponsor comes in. Apple Tree Business Services handles bookkeeping, payroll, and taxes for small businesses. Apple Tree Business Services is the go-to choice for growing service companies so they can manage cash flow, know their numbers, and save on taxes. Their U.S.-based team has taken care of small business bookkeeping and taxes since 2005. Find them online at appletreebusiness.com or email patrick at appletreebusiness.com. Welcome back owned and operated. Today, I have Jake Wakely on with me. Welcome, Jake. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this will be a lot of fun. You responded to my, I need someone who runs a moving company ad on Twitter. So this is totally perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm currently in it. So I figured I could lend whatever advice I have. Yeah. I think we've had above 10 requests for people that run moving companies to come onto the show. Yeah. Which... I personally didn't see coming, but, and it's been mostly recent. So now I'm wondering if it was a ploy of yours the whole time just to get on the show. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All right. Well, could you start us off with like a little bit of a 60 second primer on Jake? That way we can get this thing rolling. Yeah. Born and raised in San Antonio. Yes, I do know Girdley. And yes, we do live like blocks away from each other, but I've spent about 10 years in Dallas Sales has been my life. So sales, everything. Did industrial packaging for a while, moved into tech sales, went into consulting sales, moved back to San Antonio and decided I wanted to pull my hair out every day. So I decided to buy a service business here in town. My partner and I have been friends for a long, long, long time. And we've been trying to do something for forever. So kind of the typical listen to Sweaty startup, started thinking about service businesses, started grasping the idea and got connected with a local owner of a moving company that had run it 40 years, kind of your typical pen and paper, everything, file cabinets everywhere, no technology, no anything. So saw an opportunity and jumped on it. We closed last summer. So we're about eight months in right now. Currently have our next two deals under LOI and we're kind of the new model is transitioning, but as of right now, we're moving in storage, more so San Antonio, but 
all over Texas and we just signed an agreement to kind of work national now. But San Antonio and surrounding is primarily where we call home and where we do business. Could you give me, I want like a one minute description of how the moving business actually works. I was talking to somebody like a few months ago and they started explaining their business and I was like, I thought you guys just move shit. It was really different. Yes and no. I mean, a lot of your smaller mom and pops are, you know, owner operator, one truck, move your home or your apartment from one place to another. Once you get a little bit of size, staff under that you can rely on, there's a lot of different areas that you can pull from. I mean, I guess the two traditional are commercial and residential. It's just exactly what you think of it, you know, moving home to home or moving office to office. But I've seen some stuff on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, but he called out like the packouts. So emergency remediation work is a huge opportunity for companies. So for us, we have a number of different avenues. So a lot of the traditional commercial, we have your traditional residential, but then we have some that, you know, we classify as commercial, but you're in clients' homes. It's, you know, water, fire damage, and we're doing the full pack out. We've got storage here as well. So we're able to kind of, we try to stay away from long-term, but a lot of that intermediary. So housing market right now is, you know, close on a home, new home's not ready. We need somewhere to put it for, you know, 10, 15 days. We have that. And then kind of the fourth, I guess, is the packing, where it's we've got full-time packers on staff. Sometimes it's movers that are cross-trained, can do everything. We kind of go the other route of having packers on staff to go in and, you know, you want to be as turnkey as you can. We can be as turnkey as you want us to be. Just we show up, we pack your home, we move you to the new house, we unpack you, get you organized. So that's kind of how we operate. Every company's got some nuances here or there, but in a nutshell, there's yeah, moving shit from one place to another. Well, there was a bunch of other stuff in there. You said it was packing, it was storage, packouts, and moving. Yeah, yeah. Moving, packing, storage. We've done some other stuff. I mean, there's you can go into you know selling additional valuation, which is just protection on goods. There's a lot of different add-ons that you can do. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff that we do, like we're not allowed to touch water lines for washer, dryer, fridge. So contracting with plumbers locally to do that. And there's different services that we can provide as being that one-stop shop that are outside of just moving in storage. It can get interesting. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah, exactly. Like this is exactly the question. (laughs) Like I always thought moving was like just moving. And then it's like, no, there's like, you know, six different profit centers here. All right. So before we deep dive into the model, I've never used a mover because Shame. I've just never used one. I know, I know, I know. Mainly because, you know, anytime I moved, I was still in my like mid-20s. <laughs> so you just rent a U-Haul, right? But the next time we move, we're using a mover. So like as a person who's never used a mover, what can I expect? Hit or miss. I mean, we talk about it here every day. The bar is so low. And I feel like you hear that in the service industry just across the board. The bar is low on customer service, on reliability, on hell, just answering the phone. But once you find a good mover, I mean, that's kind of where we've set ourselves apart is we answer the phone, we shoot you straight, we show up when we're going to show up, and we do our best to not break your stuff. You know, we're, we're still dealing with unskilled labor, but you can probably expect somewhere in the middle of they're not going to answer and they're going to be a high class customer service organization, kind of somewhere in the middle, generally how you expect a service business to operate. 
it's still an old industry, like old, old, old. So they're going to show most of the companies are going to show up with a paper bill of lading. They're not going to really keep track of a whole lot. The guys are going to show up. They're going to halfway wrap your goods. They're going to throw it in the back of the truck and you're going to cross your fingers that they get it to point B in one place, which is where, like you said, some of those other profit centers come in. And it's just making sure you're taking as a consumer. Yes, it's a profit center for us, but it's also protection for you, making sure it's done the right way. How much does moving cost? Our average move right now is about fifteen hundred. We're probably not super high side, but I would say when we took over, the average move was in the seven eight hundred range. Just traditional residential moves. That doesn't count commercial, all that other stuff where it gets really complicated, but just your typical, you know, two, three bedroom home from, you know, one part of town to another part of town. It's probably going to be in that thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range. Just kind of depends on the extent of stuff that you have. I'm gonna be honest, that is like nowhere near what I thought it was going to be. Higher? Oh yeah. I, I don't know. Like we have a small home. I assumed like four grand. Like, I have no idea. I have literally no concept of what moving could cost. <laughs> now, if you get somebody to come in and pack the whole house, like for you, like box it up, pack it up, move it, unpack it. Yeah. You're probably talking in that four or five, $6,000 range, just kind of depending on the extent. But if it's, hey, we're going to pack everything ourselves, we're going to just get you to come load it, unload it. Yeah. Probably 1500 somewhere in that range. And that's basically a, you know, three quarters to a full day of work. Hmm. That's crazy. So no, no. I mean, that sounds like frankly a deal and a half to not have to do that. So when you're doing, you mentioned in your sort of intro that you just signed an agreement to start doing national. So how does that work? So we know we're very good at local. We know we're not good at interstate and nor do we want to be kind of takes our guys out of the mix on a day-to-day basis. If we've got to go send them from here to Ohio and then they've got to, you know, spend multiple nights away, our trucks are away. So we partnered with a van line to do that. So we kind of act as their local agent in San Antonio. We'll handle the packing, loading if there's any needed, but basically we sell the job. They service it. You know, it's your United, your Mayflowers, your Atlas, those kind of big van lines that you see. We work with one of those national to get everything out of Texas. Some movers will do it themselves, but we don't want to spread ourselves thin and they're good at it and we're not. And we know that. So you're like lead gen for these guys. Mm -hmm. How much do you get paid on that? Depending on the services, every different service has a different percentage. We get somewhere in the probably 15 to 19% range if it's starting in San Antonio. And then if there's all the other services that we can sell on the job, we just get a percentage of those as well, more on the high end of like full. So yeah, it's not too bad. It's a different avenue, obviously, with given the market where everybody's moving to every other state. I mean, most people are moving here, which is a different story. Yeah, it doesn't help you as much. Not as much, no. But if there's once they get here, we can help them. Or if there's services that the van line is bringing here and they need us locally, they'll wrap us in and we can handle it locally. Mm -hmm. Are you guys a franchise? No. Okay. Single company, 40 years in business. And yeah, no, we get mistaken for budget rentals all the time. Mm -hmm. So we thought about changing our name, but then we're like, hey, people are calling us anyway, thinking we're budget rentals. We might as well just 
Oh, yeah. Tap into that and use that and be like, no, but we can help you somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. What is the chili scene in San Antonio really like? Oh, man. Last Chili's I went to, I think, was in Seguin, so outside. But there is one around the corner. I have not gotten Girdley to agree to a lunch there yet. He likes okay. fancier places from time to time for his lunch meetings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So you were friends with your partner for a long time. So you decided, mm-hmm. like, let's test our friendship by buying a business together. <laughs> every, single, <laughs> every single day. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. Our director of operations we hired has also been a friend for... 12 years. Oh, you guys are, we, you're just we like all lived playing with, with fire here. hundred <laughs> percent. Nice. Luckily we have a lot of different skill sets. So my partner is in financial advisor background dealing with mainly with businesses. So he's fantastic back office, insurance, HR, like all the crap that I don't want to deal with, nor do I have the expertise to deal with. He does that. You know, my background sales, I'm out and about doing that. And then Director of operations we brought in was working for a national remodeling company, dealing with subcontracted crews, like, you know, scheduling 20, 30 a day. So I called him was like, Hey, we've got four trucks a day. He goes, done. Where do I, where do I sign up? Sounds easy. But yes, we do play with fire. We test our friendship, but now we wouldn't bring on just anybody and work with anybody. So it's so far it's working out. My partner and I had a foundation, the golf tournament that I mentioned earlier. This is our sixth year and seventh year in the organization. So over the years, we kind of semi-tested how we work with each other on doing that. And it worked out pretty well. So we decided to make the jump and try not to kill each other before too long. Yeah, that's pretty good. I feel like people either, I don't know, it's like you're pregnant or you're not. Like you work with your friends or you don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. When did you guys buy it? July of last year. So July, 2021. So only about eight months. Was that a good time or a bad time to do it? I would say good. So July is kind of, I would say three quarters of the way into what is historically busy season. So whenever we got in, it was like trucks were full schedule was out three weeks. So we got in with work schedule, revenue coming in, jobs booked, And we were able to hit the ground running and kind of learn the rest of it as we went and not have to learn it while worrying about jobs coming in and revenue hitting. And most of our work is residential. So it's all COD, which is another fantastic thing about the moving industry is you're nine times out of 10, you're getting paid the day you're doing the move. So you're not having to float a whole lot of labor, labor costs or anything. So July is was probably a good time to get in. About September, I'd say October is when slow season starts to kind of set in. Most companies are, I mean, we're getting a lot of people right now applying because there's no work elsewhere. We've been lucky. We kind of hit the ground running immediately with marketing tactics and getting out. So we've stayed busy and actually grown through the slow months, but historically... I mean, everybody was telling us slow months are coming, slow months are coming, be ready. And so we were kind of thankful we started in July with the back end of busy season. I don't think we've seen the full brunt of it yet, which we are anxiously, nervously waiting. But no, it was a pretty good time. How did staffing end up working out? You seem to say people were applying. I talked to other moving companies last year, and it was like crazy difficult for them to get people. Yeah, it's not an easy job at all. 
which is part of the reason why nobody wants to move. It's physically demanding. So we've taken some avenues to ensure that we're retaining good talent and picking up good talent. Doesn't mean it's easy. You know, we hit the traditional indeed wherever. I think the the old owner was using Craigslist a lot of it, and we shut that down. It just was producing terrible talent. Referral programs have been huge. We threw that in. Our starting pay is a little bit higher than average in the industry. And we added benefits, 401k, the whole nine yards that the industry doesn't have. Almost no company has any of that. And the way they pay traditionally is only while they're working a job and not the travel time. So we kind of threw that all out the window and did what we would want to do and how we would want to get paid. And so far, it's been good. We started with seven people. One guy left on day one because he didn't have any papers and didn't want to go down that route. But after that, we've quickly grown it. I think we're sitting at 15 movers right now. At one point, we were up at like 18 or 19. We had a few fizzle out in the last month or two, but we're getting ready to ramp up again. We're trying to get to about 25 in the next month or so. How many people are on the team total right now? There's like 14 or 15 movers. I think we just hired like three today, like 15 movers, four packers, and three of us in the office. So about 22. What's the difference between a mover and a packer? Mover is actually wrapping the furniture, loading the furniture into the truck and unloading. The packers are four ladies that we have that actually go into your home and wrap each dish, load every box. Traditionally, our guys don't load boxes. That's all done by the homeowner. Big furniture they'll do, boxes they don't. So we send our packers pre, basically to prep everything, take pictures off the wall, load the boxes, you know, put the lamps in the boxes, all that kind of stuff. Now, a lot of companies will have their movers do that as part of the service. We just found it more efficient that if we have packers doing it, we can also have our movers moving that day and just do kind of stack those. So one day pack, one day move and just roll that in. So we're just kind of maximizing the time. So there was how many movers, how many packers? Can you break that out again? About 15 movers and four packers right now. Okay. Gotcha. And how many trucks is that? We've got three 26 footers, the big moving trucks, one 16 footer, which is good for like a one bedroom apartment or just kind of miscellaneous items. Hey, I need to move one couch down the street type of deal. We've got one Nissan van and then we've got one more truck that's coming in soon. So we'll have four big trucks to operate. But short answer, like three and a half trucks, I guess. Yeah. So that's like three and a half or four jobs a day. That's the idea, right? Four individual crews. We would love if every big truck has one job a day and then the small truck has like five like five real small, hey, we're moving a dresser and a couch or you know, a bed or just one item, two items, and just pump those out every day. Wildly profitable. It's very easy. You can send two guys to just go hammer out three or four of those a day. But yeah, big trucks, we definitely don't try to stack a second job on those. Historically, if we're having to send three guys in a big truck, it's because it's a larger move, probably taking five, six hours and do the best we can to get the guys home by, you know, get them back here and out the door by five, if we can. Nobody likes to work till nine o'clock if we don't have to. Yeah. I mean, I know I don't. (laughs) We put so much stuff in place because we don't want to be here. So it's like, we got a Dropbox now. We've got like 
hey, leave your keys in your credit card, you know, access code, all of our timesheets are all an app now. They can clock in, clock out. They see their schedule on their phone. And we just switched over to a cloud-based phone system. So it all goes to our cell phone now that we can be out of the office and don't have to be here if we don't need to be. Yeah, you guys are cruising. This is great. We're trying. When we walked in, it was, God, it seemed like this office hadn't been changed since like 1990, maybe. I mean, it was pen and paper, everything, the old scheduler where it'd be, you know, address, arrow down address and like two or three movers at the top. So he'd answer the phone in his office and he'd have to run over to the other you know, room and say, do you have available? And he's like, flip through it. Yes. No, we don't. None of that anymore. I can do everything from my tablet. Calls come into my cell phone. So we keep saying we're trying to kind of flip the industry on its head and kind of set the bar and set the standard, have everybody else keep up with us. So how does like pricing, you said $1,500 average move. Is it flat or are you guys like time material or how does that all work? Usually time for the most part, if there's packing involved or anything like that, material will get included just depending on what we need. So TV boxes, wardrobes, that kind of thing. But for the movers, generally speaking, it's time based on the number of guys we're sending. So bigger moves, more guys, more hourly rate. If we leave San Antonio, we try to flat rate everything, you know, go to Dallas, Houston, down to the coast, anything like that will makes it so much easier if we just makes it easier for budgeting for the client and makes it easier for us. We just say, look, here's the price, send our best crew, go try to get it done as best you can, as quick as you can try to make us a little bit of money. But that's the only way we would flat rate stuff. Generally speaking, it's unless you go in and see the house, it's really hard to flat rate it because people grossly underestimate the amount of crap that they have. Like, oh, it shouldn't take more than, you know, two hours. It's only a couple items. And you walk and it's like, no, ma'am, you're a hoarder and you have a full one bedroom apartment that's going to take us a full day. I always thought it would be cool. And I can't do this. Okay, I'm going to take that back. I probably could do this, but I think it's more difficult because we have like 800 services in each of our businesses versus moving. Maybe there's like 20 actual hands-on services, but I always thought it'd be really cool to create like a point of sale on your website, I would search moving San Antonio. The price would be like maybe $1,900. So higher than your original one because you're baking in someone grossly underestimating how long mm-hmm. the move's going to be. So maybe it's 1900 for like a two-bed home or apartment. And then you add more for the flight to stairs or whatever. I don't know. But then like they check out they schedule, they do the whole thing right there. And then they just attach pictures of their home to like basically verify that like the estimate is like going to work for the amount of stuff that they have. Yeah. Like, is that even possible? I would say yes and no, it will be. So a lot of these softwares that we're using are quickly integrating the ability to attach pictures, attach videos, whatever it may be. There's actually an estimating software out there that uses AI that like I would just send you a link, you pull it up like FaceTime and you just scan your room and it pinpoints everything and calculates estimated weight, cubic feet for packing how many boxes you yeah, need, like everything. I'm of course, we tried, to, we tried to get it. It was like, oh, you want how much for this? <laughs> Not quite, but no, we're looking into it. We're going to try to do how, that. How much did they want? You have to pay. So it's like $40 per survey. 
which technically you could wrap into the cost of the move. However, you have to pay for an entire year's worth of surveys up front. So it's like 30, 40 grand like up front. And then you just don't know what you're going to use. Now we'd probably use them all, but you know, for a probably sub $5 million company, it's really hard to justify a $40,000 upfront investment. So We've got some levers now. We kind of worked out an agreement with another company that we may be able to piggyback and just do on a per basis just to see if it works. But then like you're saying, the next step of that is how do you take all of that information and just put it onto your scheduling platform, which is, we've had these conversations endlessly. We've talked to our CRM system, kind of this moving software that we use. It's moving and storage specific. So it's literally built out exactly for what it, you can run your entire operation off of it. You know, all the way from scheduling to sales, to customer service, to payment processing, you name it, you can run it on it. So we're trying to have the two of them talk, say, how do we connect y'all so that client can go onto the website instead of filling out a contact form, they just say, here's what it is. Here's a link. Click that link, scan your house. That information goes into the CRM, automatically processes what it would be based on our hourly rate, guys, schedule, then gives them scheduling options of, okay, it's a three-man crew for five hours. Here are your next available dates, and they can click book. That's what we would love to get to. It's going to take a while probably, but it's definitely on our radar. I would say we're probably one of two to three companies that are really, really trying to be aggressive with technology and aggressive with some of these processes. I come from technology backgrounds. I'm like, what can we do? What can we bring in to try to basically eliminate my job? If you can eliminate me having to get out and drive halfway across town to go do sales and book, what can we do? And that's how you scale. That's how you you know, you go start adding, you know, you buy companies in, you know, four or five different cities, drop this in, and all of a sudden the back end is just churning it out. And all you got to do, your biggest headache is labor that you then just say, okay, now all we do is focus on hiring the right people. Done. Yeah, this is dope. I'm totally convinced it could work. Like pick 1900 and 2900 and 3900 and like three tiers based on how big your house is. And then you just like, that's it. There's enough margin for you to win. Yeah. And then I think it'll be more of a problem of labor and trucks because you'll get so much volume mm -hmm. just because it's easy and you don't have to call somebody. Yeah. So there's a company that built out their own software here in Texas, Einstein. They do that a little bit. They have the ability to like book your move. You can just say, hey, it doesn't give you the exact price, but you say, hey, I've got a 3-2 nothing crazy, no heavy items, no safes, no nothing, super easy walk. Basically, if it's the standard, easiest, basic move you can get, you can go on their system and just instant book it. Based on your parameters, it says, I think it's going to be this hourly rate for guesstimated this many hours, book. So that's like the basic level of it. But they had the whole system custom built out for them. And so I think that's what it would take. Maybe with some integrations with the other things, but you know, the AI software and that kind of scheduling software, maybe, I don't know. I'm not that deep in tech that I know how to make it work, but I know what I want and I know what I want it to do. It's on the horizon. I think it could work. It's maybe a few years off, but hopefully we can speed that up. Yeah. There's a lot of pushback in our industry 
and autos for like flat rate pricing, which is what I was describing. Mm -hmm. So the benefit is customer knows what it is prior. Like it's not like a thing. You don't have to like when somebody calls out the mover, it's like hour 300 an hour and that doesn't give me any information. Right. Is it going to be a hundred hours or two? I have no idea because I've never done it. But I think the general concept is you lose on like 15% to 20%, but you make on 80. So you sort of price in. So like the average job maybe would be six hours. So you bid it at seven and a half or eight to price in. So you can give discounts if you want. So then you're going to make on 80%. And then sometimes you walk into a hoarder. How do you think that would work? (laughs) I think it could. I mean, that's essentially what we do, you know, for out of town moves. It's yes, we're looking at it. And yes, we see the inventory, but we're still kind of baking in. I call it factoring in the unknown. You know, what are the hidden things that we're not going to run into that are just going to take an extra hour? And so we bake that in whenever you're flat rating, you have to. I think it could work. I think we would need more data. We just, I don't think we have sat down and looked at it. We'd have to go in and just kind of say, okay, what is our average three bedroom, you know, two bath home? How long does it take? You know, what's the average price on those versus four versus five bedroom? And then you'd probably just, yeah, separate it out between the actual type of move. Yeah. Whether it's a one bedroom apartment and up, just have your flat, you know, $6.99 for one bedroom apartment, you know, $11.99, whatever it is for each. But yeah, maybe we'll try that. I'll go throw something else on my director of operations. You throw stuff on Brandon, I throw stuff on Micah and he like, here, go. Run with it. Yeah, exactly. Can you talk to me about the storage side of this business? And like, is it self-storage like to the public or just customer facing storage? It's all kind of full service. So it's the long-term piece. We inherited probably eight long-term clients and I'm talking long, long term, like way too long. Those, they pay their monthly fee way under market. We've hesitated jumping them up just because they don't take up a whole lot of space. And frankly, we haven't tackled storage too much yet. The biggest piece we use it for is, like I said, that in transit. So, you know, house closes, new house isn't ready. We need a 10-day gap. We will load up everything, unload it into our vaults, vault it, hold on to it, and then move it on the back end which we love because it locks them into the back-end move versus just taking it to a self-storage facility. We can't guarantee that we're on that back half. We love that aspect of it. It also opens us up a lot for the pack-out type of work because not every company is going to have a facility to store it in. So a lot of them will take it to a self-storage or a like drop a pod on site or something like that. So it opens us up to have that ability to take on more work that is kind of in the weird zone of, you know, hey, there's a gap period for one reason or another. We do win a lot of business because of that. It's high margin. It's, you know, it doesn't take us a whole lot of extra work to load it in the vaults and get it done. And the clients pay for it anyway. They're going to pay whether we unload it into a storage facility or we unload it here. We might as well tack on a little bit of, and we're able to charge under market for a typical self-storage because it's here. And it gives us that added kind of competitive advantage. What is the duration of the typical storage client? Maybe two weeks, a week. Oh, that's like short. That's like super short term. Yeah, it's most of it's short term. Your quick turnaround. But we've had some of the bigger homes. I mean, we've had, you know, 20 vaults for one client that and it's all stored in wooden vaults in a unclimate controlled warehouse. So it's nothing crazy. 
just a metal building to house it. But I mean, we've had some where it's there for six months, five months while the house is getting built all the way down to we unload it one day and we move it you know, two days later. So it just kind of depends on the client situation, but average is probably in that two week time frame. Yeah, it's pretty quick. How much real estate yeah. do you need for a business your size? Like what square footage look like? If the storage is, it factors in, we've got about 13,000, but we sit on two and a half acres. So we have a lot of grass that we acquired with the business that we don't quite know what we want to do with it yet. We're just kind of sitting and waiting. Our storage is probably enough right now. It's about 13,000 square feet. A lot of businesses don't even have an office like this. Like I think some competitors of ours run out of a storage facility. Like they literally just have a storage unit that has some material in it and they park their trucks at the storage facility, you know, oversized storage for trucks or RVs or something. They'll park their trucks there and that's where they dispatch out of. And they probably have their headquarters somewhere else that's doing the scheduling. So you don't need a lot. I mean, the biggest overhead and the biggest upfront capital is just the trucks. But outside of that, you don't, I mean, you don't need a big old office. You don't need all this stuff. We just happen to get it with the business. And so we're just trying to figure out what we do with it. Yeah. Was this purchased with SBA? Uh, no, it started that way. And we had a horrible experience with our SBA lender. And about five weeks out of closing, we had to pivot and go conventional and raise a little bit more capital and basically sat down with the bank and said, I need you to get this done in five weeks. Can you do it? And they said, yes. I said, okay, let's do it. Same bank? Different bank. Yeah, that's It was a bank that my wife, my aunt, my mom, and a bunch of family friends all work for. <laughs> I called them and said, I need it. I need this done. So that bank did it. The other bank was a bank that had a previous relationship. The SBA side was one that had a previous relationship with the business. So we're like, okay, you know the business. Let's try to keep this relationship running. And it was just horrible, horrible, horrible. So it kind of gave us a bad taste in our mouth of SBA. But our next deal that we're working right now or under due diligence for is going to be SBA. So it didn't scare us off too bad. Could you share what the exact problem was with SBA? I don't think they do enough or they didn't do enough. So they didn't know what they were doing. Oh, yeah. It just yeah, timeline kept getting pushed. It just kept getting yeah. pushed and pushed and pushed. We added real estate about halfway through and they said, okay, well, real estate's going to tack on another four months of time frame for us. Okay. And they said, and we want you to close simultaneously. But no, we've got a like we got a deadline. We need to close this business. They're like, we don't care. I was like, okay. And so we said, okay, well, what if we just pull real estate? We'll go deal with that separately. They said, well, never mind. Now that we know that real estate's involved, you either do real estate with us or there's no deal at all. Like we won't even do the business. We said, okay, we'll call your bluff and we'll go elsewhere. And so we did. So we pulled it. Well, I think I called the other bank on a Friday and by like Tuesday, we had a term sheet and then we were full bore that following Thursday. I think we closed in like five weeks. Yeah. That does sound like a terrible experience. So you said part of the capital stack was equity. So what'd you guys have to raise? Percentage is fine if you don't want to give dollar. Yeah. So we raised 25% and we did it as a subordinated note. So we didn't have to actually give up any equity. My partner and I still kept the equity, but we just did it as a subordinated note, kind of secondary lien, at least on the business, the real estate, we, they came in as equity. So we still structured them as two different deals. But yeah, we were able to kind of, 
we raised about 25% for the business. Yeah, that's cool. And who'd you go to? Who'd you get money from? Family friend. They had gone down the entrepreneurial route, sold a business very, very successfully, and were trying to allocate some dollars outside of the market and kind of put them in different pieces. They were bought into the idea. We sold them on it. So they put it up and they're working on us on the next deal as well. They were happy. We, we pleased them enough so far in eight months that they were happy to do the next one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's talk about these two LOIs. So you've already started expanding. You're eight months in. You're like, hey, let's go buy some more stuff. Yeah, so the second one, not technically LOI, but it's kind of a weird deal. We're in talks and honestly, they will probably listen to this when it airs because they're followers on Twitter as well. That's how we connected. But they were kind of in the same path as us a different market, different city, but wanted to get out. And so we're looking for some synergies there to potentially kind of work ourselves in as operations and take over that and kind of expand as a second location. But it'd still be moving in storage. We Geographically, it was kind of our next move that we had discussed. So we're hoping that relationship works out pretty well. We're, I guess, kind of in due diligence, kind of not. It's kind of a weird state. You know, it's not a traditional like, you know, hey, we talk, we agree, we sign LOI, we go to diligence. It's like, we got a lot of information up front. And now we're kind of in the limbo, hey, what could deal structure look like? But it's also moving pretty quick. So we're trying to close that one, I don't know, maybe next 30 days or so, kind of assume, kind of work ourselves into operations there, utilizing here as a central hub. We kind of want to do that with all of our Moving in storage is kind of whatever we can do centrally here, sales, accounting, receivables, dispatch, whatever we can do here, we will. And then kind of use all the others as almost like a satellite location for trucks, dispatch, minimal overhead, and kind of hopefully we think that's a way that we can scale. Obviously, we'll see how it works out, but that's kind of our idea. Yeah. Are the other ones in Texas? Yeah. Yeah. One of them's in Texas. The other LOI completely different business, way out of left field. It's actually property management up in Colorado that were probably halfway through due diligence. <laughs> but it was another one of my my crazy ideas of where do I like to vacation? Where do I want a vacation? Let's go look at a business there. So it gives me a reason to the go The amount of time. times that I've tried to convince my wife <laughs> to do exactly that. <laughs> it's a lot. We go to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan every summer, like a few weeks a year. And I'm like, babe, just got to buy something up here. <laughs> I need something to do. <laughs> I know. We've been, she's like, no, you're on vacation. Stop. Yeah. The, unfortunately, I think my wife would get there, but no, it was, I told her about it. She was like, that sounds kind of cool. So we're probably, like I said, halfway through, we're shooting for, I don't know, end of, end of April closing if we can. So trying to move pretty quick. That's the one that'll go SBA. That'll be the one that we give the SBA another shot or give the lender. And that's, we're talking to Live Oak on that one, which obviously I've heard a lot of good things about. So we're going to, we're going to give them a shot to see what we can do. Yeah. This is just like a general plug, not even being paid to do this one. Live Oak has been great to work with, but I would also say like to your earlier point, if you work with a bank that is not super familiar with SBA, you're going to get boned. Like they just don't know it's, how to it do was it. Horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. I've heard people that go to like their normal bank to get an SBA loan and they just don't understand that it's this is completely different. And like Huntington does a ton of SBA, you know, try them out. Live Oak, they did two of mine, totally awesome to deal with. 
but yeah, SBA specific bank, and then try to find someone that really works inside your industry, like a lot, and that helps. Yeah. So property management. Yeah, kind of left field for us. Well, like it would make sense if it were in Texas because you're probably doing packouts, you're doing a bunch of stuff. Yep. I think the only left field thing is different location. State. Yeah, and the only thing about that is it's where I want to go vacation. So it was a biz buy sell deal that came about, looked at it, looked kind of cool. It's like, you know what? I'll sign an NDA, take a look at it. And then I was like, oh, this is actually kind of unique within the property management space. And then I have an operator up there that I've, again, known for a long, long time that's in real estate. His wife has done property management. Another friend that's done property management up there that it's just a good group that I could feel confident if we bought it, they would be able to run it day to day, expand it, grow it. And then we would kind of oversee back office stuff from here. So really harpen that, you know, back office operations, do as much as we can here and just kind of drop in pieces elsewhere. Yeah. It works until it doesn't. <laughs> yep. We haven't hit the doesn't yet. Well, we haven't quite hit the does work either, but we'll see. We're playing around with some models. Yeah. Well, that does sound pretty interesting. Do you intend to cut this operator up there in on the economics? Yeah. They'll have some sort of equity piece. Probably, I think we'll work out some sort of vesting schedule just to make sure they're around for a while. But essentially, they'll run P&L for the most part. They'll kind of oversee day-to-day. They'll have some sort of P&L oversight. And then on the equity side, it'll be on a vesting schedule probably five years or something like that. All right. So you're quickly going from a one business, one market into sort of a hold co diversified business line model. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Aside from excited. <laughs> Nervous? No, it's the model has become pretty clear over the last probably three or four months. So, you know, obviously we jumped into it going, let's just buy a service business. Let's get into it. Let's get going. You know, moving in storage. It's a great market high margin market. Every industry has got its ups and downs, got its headaches, but for the most part, it's not rocket science. And we've kind of moved into, we'd love to kind of own the whole household of services eventually. I think, it, you know, the, what is it, neighborly that kind of does that in the franchise model. It's kind of that thought process is we'd like to own those services. We know that all of our clientele are open to paying for services most of them on the high end because we're not the cheapest mover in town. So it's where can we extract the additional revenue? Maybe trades, maybe not. I think we'll probably start out non-trades just because I don't want to deal with that right now. But you know the headaches that are involved with that. But we're like, look, we're already in the household. What are the different avenues that we can pull from? Which kind of created the idea of why don't we go down the hold co model? and have those as separate entities that are all playing off of each other within the household. Is your partner that you're currently 50 on with Budget Movers, is he going to be a part of the hold co? Mm -hmm. It's him and I both. So basically it's him and I, and then each individual entity will have its own kind of operator, partner, president, GM. Each one will be structured a little bit differently, but him and I are both at hold co level kind of making the decisions, which like you said, working with friends, can be interesting. Luckily, we're stage of life, mindset, drive, vision are all kind of, we're in line 
we have different skill sets, but we're definitely on the same vision moving forward. And we're on the same path. And we're kind of, you know, down to we enjoy the same type of restaurants and dinners and our wives get along and our families get along and just things like that, that kind of mesh well. So, you know, it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but so far it's working out well. And we kind of have that same vision moving forward. So it's, we're hopeful that it'll work out. So I'm catching you like at the birth of a hold co. That's Basically, the conversation yeah. right now. All right. Yeah, this pretty is, much. This is fun. All right. I'm trying to think yeah, what else I would want to ask at the birth of a hold co. Where, where are you getting information on how to design it? <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> for the most part, following all the people that are doing it, listening to podcasts, Twitter, reading books, brainstorming with other business owners, how they operate, and then just kind of seeing would that fit within a model that we have? So we've got landscaping. My landscaper dispatches out of our property. So I have a really in-depth knowledge of how his business operates. Our plumber that does all of my stuff also works with us on all the different services that we need for moving. So I get a really behind the scenes look at how he operates. And we've got a whole pamphlet of like trusted services. So I get to talk to the business owners a lot and kind of see how their businesses work and kind of see if they are, would fit in a model that we're looking at. But most of the information I'm learning is just Twitter and podcasts and reading books for the most part. Yeah, that's wild. All right, so you're building a, I'm going to go with Diversified Hold Co. That's the model that I'm, I'm going to call it. I'm going to label it now. Yeah, that's the name we call it in our group chats. So you've got a Diversified Hold Co. or you're building one. And you're going to be using shared services model on top of it. Well, like what other characteristics are you designing into your hold co? How's cash going to move? The idea is each company will run its own P&L. I don't want to intertwine them unless it makes sense. So like maybe the two moving companies will work together eventually, but each one will kind of run its own P&L. We've thought about having kind of a management firm that runs the shared services. That's where we sit that kind of oversees. So each GM that's running its P&L reports to the management firm, reports to a COO or you know has a monthly presentation over it. But essentially, we'd like to keep most of the cash there until we want to move to a new venture. And then we may pull to hold co to buy. But essentially, we're trying to... I don't want to move around too much. And again, this is more conversation with our CPA we actually had last week of we haven't quite figured it out exactly how we want it to move, but we know at least for now, each one will just continue to retain and try to retain enough so that each one can grow and scale the best they can. When did you first get familiarized with the Holdco model? I don't know, four months ago, five months ago, maybe. And you first heard about it on Twitter? Yeah, I labeled to it. Obviously, I knew that you know, growing up, entrepreneur, business, just generalist. Yeah, you know, my dad was a big entrepreneur and had. I would say, I guess that's looking back, he probably had a hold co per se. It was an entertainment group that had restaurants, radio stations, recording studios, labeling artists in Nashville. They had all sorts of stuff, real estate company. So I guess that's probably where <laughs> subliminally I kind of knew what it looked like, but actually looking into it, studying it and was probably a few months ago, if not a little bit more, just from listening you know, shows like yours and podcasts and reading and just studying anything that I could find. This isn't meant to be self-serving, by the way. But who do you think out there is providing the most information 
on how to design a Holdco? I mean, easy answer, probably you, at least for who I like follow the most. Probably you're probably the closest to the model that I've been looking at. Like I said, I haven't looked at it a lot. Haven't looked at it a ton. Over the Outside last of months. me though, like it, I sort of assumed just because your entire description was my model. So I was like, okay, he's, he's been watching. Outside of me, who else is providing information? I've looked at, I guess Kelsey's got some sort of on the SaaS side. There's Reg, obviously, with the one industry, you know, but different foundries that he's rolling up. I've looked at some other stuff. I, I think I heard a podcast about, maybe he was on the Sweaty Startup or somewhere, maybe Acquisition Anonymous. One of them that talked about a moving company that kind of started rolling up different companies. I think that's probably where it started was just roll-ups. We thought about it on just moving in storage. And that was kind of the beginning of, hey, let's buy one. And then instead of trying to go start from scratch another city, let's just start rolling them up as our kind of our expansion model. And from there, it expanded to different services. And then that's kind of when I started tapping into the different podcasts and different people following on Twitter. I would say though, y'all three are probably the three that I follow the most. And we're not even providing, like, I don't even think I'm providing like a how-to, I guess is my point. I think it's interesting. I've met more people in the last month designing new holding companies. And I've just never been able to ask them where they got the information on how to do it. All types of different ones, some small, some big, but it is really... Like ETA is obviously a movement, but so is the Holdco model. And there's not a book. When we first designed ours like seven years ago, I designed it off of like one blog post that I found from a guy named Joshua Kennan. And it's how a holding company works. And like that was it. And that stupid post changed my life. (laughs) I think Brandon, was it it Brandon Lafridge in... I think he had a post a while ago, whatever his famous post was that was it last yeah, he, year. He's got a big like. ETA post on how his wife's business worked. Yeah. I think that's, you know, hey, buy this, do this, you know, scale it, you know, add. That's probably what started it. I remember saving each of those and just rereading them. But there's no how to, there's no anything. I think it's more so just taking all of the information that I've got, just kind of piecing it together best I can and saying, okay, how do we fit this and this together? Okay, let's go do that. Let's go try that. Mm-hmm. Sounds like I have to write it. You should. Throw it up on the website. I think that'd be interesting. There's like basically two models. Like obviously it gets way more nuanced, but there's basically two. We know a bunch of guys now. It's almost like, oh, I was joking with my attorney and I was just like, yeah, I've got a friend rolling up this and a friend rolling up that. And he was like, are you guys a part of like a roll-up club? And I was like, you know, I actually think that we might be. <laughs> it's not called that, but I think that we might be. Yeah. You go change your group chat name to that, the roll-up club. Yeah, yeah. I think it's called Half-Baked Ideas or something like that. But that's yeah. Fair. Yeah. All right. That's pretty interesting. So in a month, you'll have a hold co. You and your partner running it together. You got most of your information off podcast, blogs, and some books. What books? God, I don't know what's behind me. <laughs> Most of them were probably not Holdco specific, but just business books, management books, kind of tried to start working through like the traction or the EOS model and just kind of piece it together of how we would take, again, there's no book on Holdco. So it's just kind of taking the general business principles 
and seeing how would we piece those together within multiple businesses. And if they are in different cities, different operators, different this, different that, how do we piece this together? This is what I want to do. How do we make it work? And that's kind of, I mean, we've got a whiteboard back here that our whole model of kind of what we're trying to do with all of our different principles, I think it's probably changed six times in the last two months of just different ways that we can can structure it. And obviously every conversation with attorneys and CPAs and you know all these people kind of shifted a little bit. The general idea is there, but like you said, the nuances are a little bit different, just making sure legally and tax-wise we're not screwing ourselves. This is fascinating. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm watching a baby being born right now. Not calling you a baby, but like you're at the beginning of the journey, man. This is awesome. Like you're probably going to get punched in the face a couple times over the next few months. I'm oh, sorry absolutely. to tell you that. But this is cool. This is really cool. I can take a hit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to sort of close this episode down and I'm launching this new final question. So what is your single biggest challenge right now in your business? In my business right now, probably finding vehicles. We've got a good recipe for talent. Our marketing tactics are working for now. Obviously, we'll probably change them as we grow, but we need trucks. We need vehicles. We need the ability to service the demand. You know, With the housing market staying how it is, people are moving all the time. And people are more so moving into paying for services as well. Like you said, you've never used a mover before. The age of where people are starting to use movers is lowering. And so we're trying to keep up with demand. We just don't have vehicles to do it. And when you go try to rent U-Hauls and stuff every single job, it just drastically cuts into your margins. That's probably the biggest challenge right now is just finding and acquiring vehicles. For me personally, time. I don't have enough time. Nobody ever does, but... Yeah, that challenge makes sense. Trucks are crazy right now for us too. It's terrible. Yeah. Being able to level load off of U-Haul is interesting though. I didn't think about that. You'd be able to sort of capacity spread or flex or whatever we want to use. Huh, that's cool. We do it from time to time and sometimes you can kind of tack that onto the move if you've got the body. So labor being one, but that's the easy out. Everybody has labor problems, so... I won't go with that one, but probably trucks is easily number two. All things equal. That's what keeps us up on is we hate saying no. We hate not being able to service a move because we don't have a vehicle to do it. And so that's probably a big challenge. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on today. This was awesome. You've satisfied all the listeners that wanted to hear about a moving company. <laughs> all 10 of them. All 10. And we got to hear about the birth of a hold co, which... I feel like there's like rays of sun coming down and, you know, the tax accountants are pouring out of the woodwork and it's like a beautiful day <laughs> and the, the birth of old go. White doves are being released yes, behind me. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If people want to get in touch with you and bother you about moving questions, where can they find you? Twitter is probably an easy one. I think it's at Jakely Wakely. I think is what my Twitter's don't ask. Why no, is that? This is a no judgment zone. That was my nickname back in water polo in high school. And I think I created it like way back when, and then I just never changed it. So yeah, it's at Jakely Wakely is probably the easiest way. Or email jake.wakely at budget-movers.com is another one. Sweet. Thanks for coming on and sharing the journey with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.